Hello? Can you hear me? Lauren Richardson, welcome to Charlotte Dunes Lagoon. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, Lauren and I have known each other for quite a while now. We met in a recovery group um, years ago when we were both beginning our sobriety journeys. And we bonded through love of creative process, the artist's way, and yoga. And I think Lauren's going to talk all about that. So Lauren, I'll let you introduce yourself now. Oh, that's lovely. I was just taken back to like some of our moments when we first met, which was really cool. Like what a kind of cool journey that we've been on, I feel like together. Um, a lot of, a lot of it's been on the internet. <laughs> um, but, but we've actually met in person quite a bit as well. So that's nice. Um, and five years ago, I think, or maybe it's four years ago is when we first met, but the group that we met in was such a big part of like who I am now, really, even Same. though I'm not, even though I'm not a part of that group anymore. Um, recovery online was such a huge, um, important piece for me to find that. Um, and it's so crazy that I think about like, now we've gone through this global pandemic and the way that we access things work, everything is just totally shifted and so much is online now. And so much is just like, that's Zoom is normal and everybody Zooms. But my very first Zoom call was like to get sober. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> so that's kind of really cool to think about actually. And to think about, um, you know, you and I and our journey through that. And then, um, so for me, I'm obviously also a woman in recovery, had struggled with addiction and um, have spent many years on, um, I would say a healing journey. Um, I would consider myself a very deeply spiritual person. And so I also think that I really like the term, like a seeker. I think I've just been seeking all of my life for, um, divinity, for an experience of something greater than myself. I've, I've been ex like constantly seeking that. I think all of my life, and that sort of plays into the creative element, I think, of my nature, your nature. Um, and we'll talk a little more about that. But just the way that um, you get to engage with creativity, it's a very it's a very divine kind of otherworldly thing, um, as you know. So we'll talk more about that. But um, back to who I am. I'm a seeker. Um, I'm a creative. I'm someone who struggled with addiction. So for many years, I wasn't creative. Um, and that's also something that I think has have been oddly part of my like strength, because even though I spent many years not creating and not writing, and that was very painful because I was in active addiction, I also have spent many years recovering that. And it's still work in progress. Always recovery is always a never ending journey, no matter what it is you're recovering. Um, but it's kind of cool because I've seen this parallel of my recovery of sobriety, of like substance abuse, all these different terms, um, to really just like zooming out and realizing like now I'm recovering my creativity and I'm going in and recovering, um, as Russell Brand says, the person that I'm really meant to be. Um, and that's that's taken my like journey to just a whole new exciting level of of 
fun and flow and just always feeling inspired. Well, not always feeling inspired, but um, yeah, so I'm a creative. And so I, like we said, we met online and found those communities incredibly helpful. And so part of what I do now is um, support women in recovery. And I have an online community that I do that with, which you know about, it's called the Healing Hive. Um, and it's a very little at this point um, Facebook group that also exists. We have a couple of other platforms that we connect on. I think there's an Instagram page. We have a Marco Polo thread. Um, it's not that little. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's been, I guess, as everything, um, everything that is creative is, it's been an evolution and something that's sort of been like kind of active and then it's sort of ebbed and flowed, I guess is the, uh-huh. is the word, but, but yes, it's a small, I, I mean, I like the size of it. I think it's nice to have a really intimate group of, of women, Um, and what's really kind of cool about this particular group is like a lot of those women, you know, these women, like if you looked at the roster of the healing hive, um, they are women that have been with me for five years or, you know, in in many cases and have been with me even before I was actually sober. So when I look at the list of women who are like, you know, in my group, (laughs) I, I, honestly don't even think of it as my group. I think the healing hive was just meant to exist and in in any creative thing, as you know, sort of just births itself. And I just got to be the person to like have be the vessel through which that came basically. So, you know, at one point I realized I, I really prefer to have all women as a group in far, as far as like early recovery goes. And there's mm-hmm. a whole other, we could go down that whole conversation as well, but I do particularly find that connecting with women in recovery and even what I do with like creative stuff um, is sort of my, is what is my niche, you know, Um, no offense to the men, of course, but I just think that we get very, very personal and intimate. And there is, um, you know, just a lot of topics that I find um, just, I am able to relate to the woman and her experience so much better so much more the feminine. Um, so yeah, so I support women in recovery. Um, and in addition to that, I had also started doing artist weight groups, which you know about as well. And we can talk a little bit about that too. Um, yeah. And I'm going to link to the, um, article that you wrote about the artist way. Like that was almost a year ago that we did that article or the guest post that was about, um, creative recovery and the artist's way. So I'll link that too with these like show notes. Awesome. Well, that is something that was really cool that kind of came out of um, COVID. So kind of going back to uh, 2020 and lockdown and quarantine, you were in the very first group that I was in that was actually not formed by me, but was formed by another woman in our group um, that was part of our recovery community. And um, it was such a great experience and going through it just made me realize like, this is something that I would really like to continue to do. And I actually continued to offer groups for an entire year after that. So all through quarantine and COVID um, and am now starting to do that still with groups, but also offering that for women who are interested in doing the process one-on-one. 
And do you want to talk about like what exactly those groups were, the artist's way, the creative cluster, just like explain it all for people listening that don't know? Yes, absolutely. So the artist way, I wish I could hold it up, but I have a book that has the cover completely ripped, but I think you'll probably link all people these things know. to the yeah. show notes. Okay. So folks, artist way by Julia Cameron. There if you, you go. haven't read it and you're in any kind of creative field, go read it right now. <laughs> I mean, shocking. If you're in a creative field, it'd be shocking if you haven't heard of it, but even people that aren't in creative fields have heard of it. And it, it even had a resurgence during COVID. Um, she actually went on Russell Brand's podcast in March of 2020. And I was doing the artist way at the time with you in that group. And, you know, she encourages you to look for synchronicity while you're going through the process, which is this concept, the psychological concept, it's a Jungian concept, actually, of the fact that the universe is a supportive place and that the things that you want to see are there if you look for them. So synchronicity is like that. Kind of, I guess sometimes people call it God winks or coincidence, but it's that, um, yeah, it's this evidence that they're that you're aligned, that you're in the right place at the right time, and you're you're where you're meant to be. So Julia Cameron really encourages you to look for synchronicity in your life, and then she actually ended up being the synchronicity for me, a big one while I was doing the process because I was like, wow, I can't believe she's on. You know, Russell Brand is a big a big advocate for recovery and it just felt very synchronous and I was like wow this is pretty cool um but yes yeah, so Julia Cameron the process is artist way is a 12-week recovery process that she's actually just laid it all out there for you it's a book but then within that book there are just a plethora of tools and tasks and exercises um and as you know, the, the main principle tool is the morning pages. And I know that you are an avid morning pager. And yes, and you do that as part of your um, routine. And I think that's amazing. And I, you're not alone. I know you know that, that lots of creatives and even non-creatives have had um, all different types of women come through and do the artist way with me, engineers. I had a whole group of financial advisors just recently who would not necessarily say, you know, you would necessarily say financial advisors, are they creative? But, um, you know, I've come to believe that the artist way is really less about being an artist and more about really actively participating with your life. Like your life is your greatest creation. All of our lives are our greatest creations. And um, the more I've done this process, the more I realize this is just like a framework of deconditioning. You know, it's a framework of really deconditioning the way that you thought you were supposed to be in the world and conditioning you to to stop kind of looking outside, really, but to go inward and look at, you know, I mean, morning pages is just a meditation practice and it's a it's a practice of delving into your subconscious and our subconscious is running our life. Basically, you know, we, we think we're doing everything intentionally and consciously, but really our subconscious is um, making, I don't have a good accurate data, but you know, a good percentage of our choices are made from that place. And the more we can tap into that place, um, the more that we're going to align with what our real desires are and not just our desires. Cause again, I mentioned that being very spiritual um, that I believe that source God spirit 
wants us doing certain things that we have purpose and there's like a reason for why we're here. And so Artist Way really, even though it kind of sounds like it's for painters and writers, I think it's just for everybody. It's this like therapy process in many ways that helps you tap into your own internal power and wisdom and knowing. And then it doesn't happen overnight, but it's a like gradual, if you engage with it every single day, you know, you will start to see monumental change in your life. You know, you look back over a year and be like, whoa, if you really list it, lots can change. Um, so the artist way, again, it's that 12 week process. It's hard to stick with something for 12 weeks, <laughs> really hard. So one of the reasons I think that um, a group is valuable, or even just if you wanted to do it one on one with, you know, me as a mentor, that gives you the accountability, um, I love the group process so much because then you also have that added component of community. But sometimes, you know, I've had somebody right now, I'm working with somebody right now one-on-one -on -one, and she really wanted to just do one-on-one. -on -one. She did not want the group process. She was like, I really need personal attention right now. And, and so there's another element where it's like, sometimes you don't want to be thrown into a group and have to meet new people, but that can also really help your growth as well. So the group setting I think is really lovely. We meet once a week on Zoom, but you work independently through the process. You do your morning pages, take yourself on an artist date, you know, and you go through all of these um, these tools and tasks. And um, and the value is just profound. I mean, it, it can really add value to your life for a really long time, you know, like as long as you want to engage with it. Yeah, and I think we should say that Morning Pages is just three pages you write. You're supposed to do it as soon as you wake up. Three, like, longhand pencil, pen, and paper. And, you know, I tell people that even if they want to do a computer, that's better than nothing. But ideally, written by hand, three pages as soon as you wake up, just whatever mind vomit comes out on the page. And it's mm -hmm. surprisingly powerful. But, I mean, your Artist's Way cluster, that first creative cluster that we did, not only was it a great way to just like weather the storm of the early pandemic, but I birthed like an entire photo project from that that I did with the local photographer. And so I would have never made that project at all if not for your creative cluster. So I think it's also like, depending on what, and you know what, I would honestly do it again. Like if the timing was right and I, I don't think it's something that you do once. Let me put it that way. Cause actually I did the artist way when I was an alcoholic and it was, I remember you talking <laughs> about that. Actually, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm laughing. We, that shows how far we've come. If we can laugh. It shows how, how far we've come. So the first, when I was an alcoholic and then we just crack up laughing. <laughs> yeah. The first time I did it, um, I did it on my own and I did it while I was an alcoholic and I highly recommend active addiction, as we like to say, inactive you know. addiction, yeah. fully abusing substances. Yeah. But also look at you go with your morning pages while you're hungover, you know? Yes. <laughs> and it was so heartbreaking to go back and read them because at one, I forget what week it is that you are supposed to review your pages. It's near the end. It's like seven it's like or nine. Eight, eight, yeah. eight, nine. It's near the end. Near yeah. the end, you review your pages and you highlight what things that keep coming up. 
And every day I was like, I need to stop drinking. Why can't I stop drinking? I just wish I could stop drinking. I wake up and hung over and I promised myself I'm not going to drink. And at 5 p.m. I'm drinking again. So that was like, and I had gotten the, I highly recommend the Artist Way workbook. I had gotten the workbook. Mm -hmm. And so I kept that workbook and, you know, it has the questions from the, at the end of each like week that you're supposed to also do in addition to the pages. And so I had all those questions still in the workbook and I was seeing them as I was going back through your process and it had been like five years in between. And it was just so amazing to see how much more joy and focus and I couldn't really do the process the first time because of the addiction and because of just being like, you know, out of your mind when you're in active alcoholism but so the second I mean, time was such a gift. The second time was so good. And I'm like, maybe I need a third time. I could totally do a third time. I actually wish I had <laughs> been in the finance cluster because I would have loved the fight. To watch Those are your people for people. sure. Those are your people. <laughs> I mean, I've been continuously essentially doing it since we like three years, like, you know, I mean, not really, but kind of, you know, I'm not purestly every single week maybe going on an artist date or but I actually would say the truth is that my life has turned into like Julia Cameron says in the book our life is meant to be an artist date and so I'm like kind of feel like I'm just aligning my life to you know just naturally flow with that and so it's not as much a conscious thing that I'm gonna go on an artist date but I, I said that and then I stopped, like I said, I don't go on artist dates, but like the truth is I do, you know, I do. I spend a lot of time with my creativity and, and uh, cultivating that and protecting it. And do that's that. all from the artist way stuff. Like I was pretty harsh on myself prior to that, which is another thing we could talk about too, is getting into like what stops us from creating or what stops us from living the life that we want to live period. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's really the biggest thing. It's not just like what stops us from creating, but what stops us from like really living the life we want to live, which again is like creation all in, all in itself, our lives. Do you want to also explain just for people who aren't familiar what an artist state is? Yes, I know. And I don't know if I did a great job about like talking about the process, but I think, you know, it's, it's a very kind of intricate, detailed. there's a lot, there is a lot, you know, like a 12 week college course. It is. And it's 12 weeks is no, it's interesting. That's 12 weeks. Is it, I think that there's a lot of parallels to recovery with like 12 steps. Um, and also I will throw in there too, that what I'm, I bring a lot of yoga to the kind of mix as far as my lens perspective that I bring to it. That's what I study and, um, you know, deeply, deep, deep philosophical yoga, just for those who might be thinking like physical yoga, which I do as well, but, um, also just a deep, deep study of like the philosophy of yoga, um, which really is meant for our mind. And so, and the chakra system, um, is, uh, really like the psychology of yoga. Essentially it's our subtle body. It's all of the, memories, experiences, and traumas essentially that we hold in our body. Um, and that's, that's been like corroborated with science too. It's not just totally woo woo. There are some mystical elements to the chakra system for sure. Um, but there's also just some like real, it's real. (laughs) And what's cool about it is that, um, 
it's so aligned again with our psychology. And so when we're working through the artist way with when I'm working through the artist way cur currently right now, I'll just say I'm working with someone who I can identify has a, a throat chakra block um, and really throat chakra. I'm sure you can relate. Uh, yeah. And I actually started all of a sudden remembered you had a little uh -huh. throat chakra stuff yeah. we talked about. And maybe you'll share a little of that. But um, like there are tools with yoga that we can apply to our creativity in order to unblock ourselves. And throat chakra is a huge place. And that's, you know, located right here in the throat area. Um, but it is governing our ability to express and to like voice our feelings and to create. So um, we're work I'm working with her on a lot of throat chakra things. So a lot of that's just like, I literally prescribed her to start singing more. You know, I asked her what her relationship is with music. Do you have, do you sing? And she told me, you know, you know, and I, yeah, I, I, uh, so anyways, I don't want to get into too personal details because, you know, confidentiality, but that's just to say that, um, that there's a lot of parallels through yoga and artist way that I'm kind of making as far as what I bring when I guide somebody through it. <clears throat> so I don't want to overwhelm somebody. There's already tons of amazing tools. And I definitely keep the framework of the artist way as pure as I possibly can. But then there's just moments where I'm like, well, you could add this to your day and that would maybe help loosen up things. So just sing in the shower a little bit and the throat chakra will clear um, and some other toning exercises that you can do. And as you know, music's a big part of my journey as well. I play violin. I do kirtan. We can maybe talk about that. I could mm -hmm. go down that rabbit hole forever. But um, but yeah, I think that's the, that's the the point I was trying to make is that I, I bring a lot of yoga to, to the artist way structure. And that 12-week structure is um very paralleled in a lot of ways with the chakra system the chakra system the 12 steps of recovery the artistic process it's like rolling them all together plus a spiritual practice plus the yeah. meditation of the morning pages and then the interaction with the world through the artist states and like going out alone and spending time in the world absorbing creativity that's just like out in the universe mm -hmm. and I know um you're a yoga teacher in Chattanooga Tennessee but I don't know like do you have I don't know what your main area when you say spiritual yoga teacher or like do you want to explain that more like do you have any particular there's so many types of yoga that I feel like it gets confusing. I wonder if maybe you could elaborate on your yoga teacher life too. I can, and that's kind of gone all over the place, but I would say for the last several years, my specific type of yoga that I study and practice is bhakti yoga. Um, and bhakti is, um, it's known as the yoga of devotion. So it's less about the physical practice of yoga and much more, about like awakening your connection with spirit and it's also really centered around service which is super aligned again with with vegan recovery because I feel mm -hmm. like that's a big part of who I am is just you know I run recovery community and constantly in touch with women in 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 recovery and actually I just recently am starting to formalize recovery coaching so that's another thing that I can so, but I've just signed my very first client as a recovery coach mentor oh, that nice. I'm working with. So, um, but service is a huge part of being a bhakta. 
and um and also just aligning with dharma which is again that kind of i that idea that we're all born with purpose that we all have an intrinsic nature that was created for a reason and is meant to be used for the service of the world you know to give back and so that's kind of what you know in a in a little teeny nutshell what bhakti is um it's just it's con constant connection to whatever your idea of God is essentially and then aligning so that you're serving serving that as much as possible hey folks quick interruption Lauren wanted to clarify more about bhakti yoga so we're gonna have her speak on that now then return to the episode so bhakti and the tradition of bhakti which um translates to devotion um, which is to vo devotion to the divine, devotion to humanity, devotion to service. Um, bhakti actually predates Hinduism. Hinduism came later. And bhakti, actually the seeds of bhakti come from the scriptures of uh, the Bhagavad Gita and the Vedas, which were spoken over 5,000 years ago originally. Um, and then put into writing about two or 3,000 years ago. And this scripture is actually a shared text that's meant for all humanity. It's beyond a certain um, breakdown or religious group, um, which is why the Bhagavad Gita is known as one of um, India's greatest gifts to the world. That sounds beautiful. And that's not a yoga that you often hear about because you're usually hear like vinyasa, hatha, what's the guy in the gold underwear? Bikram. Oh my God, Bikram. <laughs> oh, I like as a yoga role, nidra. I won't go into those hot yoga, those hot 26 classes are all Bikram yogas anyways. And I will admit like yoga in the Western world, that's what most people know about. And there's nothing wrong with that. There is something wrong with perpetrators, I will say. Let's just say that. Uh, yeah. There was something wrong with Bikram. But in in general, there's nothing wrong with the physical yogas and going to yoga to get a workout. I did that for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, but the truth is that what the entry my entry point of yoga was actually my back problem. <laughs> like I had a back injury and had physical pain that I needed to manage. So that was my entry point. That's a very common, also Western white lady, white person entry point into yoga is my, my back hurts. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try doing some yoga, you know, and. But and, folks, be careful about that because some yoga, depending on what's wrong with you, your back can really mess up your back. You absolutely can hurt yourself. <laughs> it's like, don't think that going in there, there's some magic to these poses. There is, but mm -hmm. then there, there is and there isn't. It's like. You still have to get to that place of feeling the alignment in your body. And even if I go to a movement-based class now, you know, it's a lot of like paying attention and making sure I don't hurt myself yeah. because you, you can absolutely hurt yourself in yoga for sure. Um, and, and the irony is that yoga isn't even meant for your body it, that, it, you know, thousands of years ago, no one ever even did physical yoga. That wasn't even the point. And the only reason it was developed was so that we could sit in meditation, that we like, you know, realized um, moving our bodies, opening our channels, stretching our backs. It helped us so that we could realize like a deeper, higher self. 
Um, that was the goal. And so the goal of yoga is actually for your mind, which is ironic because it's been turned into this physical, complete physical practice. And, you know, again, I don't want to totally disparage that because that's where I entered into yoga as well and where I got a lot of benefit for a really long time. So anyone listening that does yoga, you know, like good, you're getting really amazing benefits from that. And even if it's just like you go there and your intention is I need a workout, you're still getting such deeper benefits than I don't want to compare it to anything else, but you're getting really deep benefits. Like I was about to be like spin class or, you know, but yeah, spin class is fine too. There's spiritual experiences up in there as well. Um, I think that, you know, I believe deeply that you know, whatever word you want to use. I like to use the word source. I have a little gnat flying around. Source is a is a word that I've recently really connected with. And that's actually what I'm going to start calling my mentorship business is source recovery. Um, and it's just explains what I'm doing in many ways, because either if I'm working with someone who's got like an addiction or a recovery issue as far as substance abuse, or I'm working with someone who's wanting to get in touch with their creativity, or they're feeling really unaligned in the world, source is the answer. And so it's my, and I'm not the answer. (laughs) Like, that's really my mission statement really is like, I've realized over the course of the years of being a, a yoga teacher, of engaging with my own creativity, of engaging in kirtan, which I haven't really talked about, but it's music, it's devotional chanting, it's a big part of bhakti as well, um, that I'm just a vessel down here, you know, and I'm being used. And it's the more that I can attune to that, it's like our bodies are these little antennas basically for source and source is always available to us. And the reason that we maybe don't feel that sometimes is our own filters and the the things that are blocking us from that. So for me, it's like my whole, my whole mission statement, my whole goal is just to like guide people towards source, which is already there. It's there inside of you. It's all around you. It's in everything. Um, And that's my mission at this point is just like guide you to source. And it's a big blessing to be able to do that. I love that. And speaking of big, I feel like that you're just making me think of big magic, which I know is another book that really influenced both of us. Mm-hmm. And oh, that's, yeah. yeah. Elizabeth Gilbert, I would say just quickly, she's the Please. reason I even like got into yoga at all. Oh, which Tell is funny more. because she, I know her eat, pray, love book, which I, I kind of, I don't know why every time I share this with people, I feel a little embarrassed about don't it. Don't feel embarrassed. I loved that book. I loved okay. it. I loved it too, but I have this urge to tell people my own personal story with it because it kind of feels like a few years after it was published, it was like an Oprah book club. And then it was like, she was on Oprah and there was, it was back when Oprah still, you know, had a, had a TV show every day and all of that. Um, But I found it, you know, prior to all of that. And it just, it landed in my hands in a time when I was seeking, I had very, a big disconnection from source at that point in my life. I was raised in a really like uh, shame-based, fear-based Christian religion that I really had to deconstruct in order to like find my understanding of God, which I put in quotations because I think there's just so many names for that. And that's why I love the word source. Um, but I was so disconnected from source and Elizabeth Gilbert, she just put, she just put into words so much of what I needed to hear, but particularly the chapter that she went to India was like, 
a, a revelatory chapter for me. I had never even heard of an ashram when I read that, which was, I think, in 2007. Um, I was like, what is that? You know, uh, <laughs> she's such a white person that no idea. Just so like, yeah. Um, but also this really deep longing in my heart for some some greater understanding of whatever God was given to me in my religion, you know, just didn't feel it's like I wanted to have that connection, but I was like, this isn't this, I couldn't find it in what I was given in my religion. Um, so Elizabeth Gilbert and her understanding, like her ideas of God helped bring me back to that. And so when I really looked at it, it's like, when I started doing yoga, I realized that's really what I was seeking. I was seeking like connection to source and spirit and truth, you know, I was seeking that. Um, and I really feel like I've, I have come very close to finding it at this point with all of my journeying and it's very profoundly wonderful and healing. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of, I, I anecdotally, I hear a lot of women who have who were raised in that purity culture, that Christian Bible Belt, Deep South, Appalachian, that whole region. Yeah, <laughs> deep, so much trauma. The deep and oppressive and misogynistic, not, I mean, not all of it, but there was a, there's a certain culture at a certain time. And if you were in Gen X or like an Oregon Trail millennial and you grew up in the South or in Appalachia, there's no doubt in my mind that you were exposed to that culture of misogynistic oppression yeah. <laughs> through, through a high control religion. And I think a lot of, I see a lot of people, women that I grew up with, women from that region that have found like a healing energy from yoga after all that uh, really dogmatic Christian indoctrination when they were young when they were young women mm -hmm. yeah. so I don't know if that resonates with you absolutely I mean and I was just thinking thank goodness for yoga and even just the vinyasa power classes that's what I'm saying it's like if that's the only yoga that anyone gets it's still an amazing I um, mean because yoga just means union and connection and so what yoga does for everybody and it takes time it's a not overnight process but it connects you back in with that deeper knowing that deeper wisdom and spirit, which, um, you know, not every Christian religion and, and wants to oppress, but in general, I think all of us have been given a lot of oppression, a lot of, um, a lot of ideas that were meant to be really like lovely mm -hmm. and pure, like Jesus's teachings, for instance, came and have been weaponized against us and have been used against us in order to control and you know out of fear um and that's when that's when it's like a time to take your power back and really decondition yourself and start to go inward stop looking outward stop asking the church stop looking at the, the pastor I mean I think that's what the artist way um that's what bhakti yoga really does too yoga bhakti yoga it's this like um constant practice of aligning with spirit and higher higher goals um and, and acknowledging that we have that wisdom inside of us so we don't have to listen to like the oppression of the of the church or the patriarchy or whatever it is um 
that we have our own inner voice and it's in, and it's really important to protect that and listen to that. Yeah. And yeah, I liked how you put that. Like it's lovely, lovely ideas. And there's so much beautiful, there's so much beauty in, in religion and spirituality. And like many of us do want to connect that spiritual side, but then the organized kind of cult vibes and as you and I both know, like those cult vibes can seep into almost, cult, almost any kind of group, um, yeah. but you still want that like inner divinity. So I think it's amazing. Like whenever I meet people that are really seeking and really in need, I often recommend them to contact you. As you know, I think mm-hmm. I've sent several women your way. Thank I'm you. like lost track probably now, but, uh, cause I feel like you are a great synthesis of somebody who's really been through it, really recovered from trauma, somebody who's really been through addiction and really recovered from addiction and somebody who has had creative recovery. So three types of recovery, Mm. plus all the yoga knowledge, plus all the Eastern mind, Western body, Mm. um, chakra knowledge. And the, I also, you know, love the musicality though. I don't know much about Kirtan. Maybe you could talk more about Kirtan. Oh, I would love to. I want to know more. I want Mm -hmm. to do that, but I haven't found it yet. Well, it's an, and it's actually, I feel like it's, maybe it's just because I'm in the Bhakti world now, but I feel like it is gaining popularity. Um, And there's so many different types of kirtan, but kirtan is essentially the practice of devotional chanting. So it's mantra to song, essentially. And there's infinity amounts of mantras that you can do. Um, Bhakti has a specific mantra that they really kind of work with called the Maha Mantra. Um, but you'll find yoga studios all over the country that, that host kirtans and they can be anything from like performance style things to it's, but it's really meant to be call and response. So one person plays and the other, the group responds, um, traditional kirtan instruments are harmonium, which is a little mini organ. Basically it's like a organ in a box (laughs) it's like two and a half to three octaves of an organ I feel like it looks like an accordion yeah it's kind of like you it's a pump organ that's the right term for it so yeah like an an organ meets an accordion it does kind of look like an accordion um and it's got this like resonance to it I think that um again organs are all throughout churches for a reason I think there's just this resonance to the sound that I often see people that come that maybe have never been in a kirtan circle just immediately like start crying or have some really strong emotional reaction. Actually, my cat runs over every single time I play and runs up on and hug like rubs up on the harmonium. It's really funny. Um, so there's something very deeply kind of connective about it. So harmonium is the main instrument. You also play like the Indian drum called the Murdanga is kind of how you keep rhythm. There's these little hand symbols called kartals. Those are kind of the essential instruments, but the real instrument of kirtan is your voice. Um, so really the voice is the point, the, the, like accessing that similar to what I was talking about with the throat chakra stuff and singing more. It's like, um, it is a way of of like channeling and clearing out the toxic psych like a what would we call it toxic psychology that's what i would say 
So, I mean, as you go to yoga, it's like you go to a yoga class, for instance, and you usually feel really dang good afterwards, whether it's a movement based or it's a yin or a restore. It's like, oh my gosh, I feel so good. Like it's because you've spent this time, like kind of connecting with yourself and kirtan, it's that sort of same thing, except the beautiful thing about it is that the element of music is there, which we all know is incredibly healing and connective. And then it's the element of community where you come together. I'm lucky enough to have um, a group that meets once a week, every mm -hmm. Tuesday nights. And it's powerful to come together and just allow yourself to express through voice. I mean, what's scarier than that? I mean, most people do not want to come to a kirtan with me. Just, just <laughs> for the I record, <laughs> I know you would love it. And I hope you come visit me and come to kirtan, come on Tuesday so you can come. But, um, but it's a scary thing. And I would say, even though I am actually, I would consider myself a pretty brave person, a pretty uh, extroverted person, a pretty, very actually would say very gifted musically. I still felt really intimidated when I first started doing kirtan um, because it's just so counterculture. It's a very weird foreign thing to come and do. I mean, and then it's also like, what are we doing exactly? What are we, we're chanting over and over and it feels a little, you know, Christian purity culture definitely would start to think, what is this? And what are we really, what are we worshiping here? You know, what are those crazy cult members doing? What are these Hare Krishnas up to right now? <laughs> Seriously, though, I mean, I've, I had, I've, I've had those same moments where I'm like, what am I doing? What is this? And, um, and I could really go delve deep into the philosophy of mantra, but mantra is essentially a, a, a way of redirecting our consciousness. Um, mind, mind tool is what it literally breaks down to in Sanskrit. Um, and it's just a way of of redirecting our consciousness, as I said, but not just redirection, it's like an elevation. Um, and then that sounds a little woo-woo, like high vibes, but um, it's it's the truth that when we go through our day, we, we encounter stress and fear. And most of us, let's just be honest, are living at a pace that's beyond what our nervous systems can really handle. Like we're, we're really not meant to live the way that we live. Um, in the modern world, we're just living this like fast paced, we're constantly dysregulated, you know, That's why we all have ADHD and exactly. addictions. I know it's not now that we all have ADHD, we can all just be like, actually, it's the world that has ADHD. Yeah, right? for real. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, it's, it's the truth that like, we kind of are living in yoga philosophy. And you talk a lot, Bhakti talks a lot about the era that we live in. It is, um, it is a particularly like spiritually devoid time that we live in. Um, it's all about consumer and it's, you know, very driven by let's like growth, no matter what, you know, we're going to expand this country, no matter what companies are going to grow, no matter what. And in, we've kind of lost touch with like, what, what are we all here to do? You know, what are we doing here? <laughs> We're um, all here to do this, apparently. Yes. And yeah, no. So it's, it's that it's madness. It's madness. I tell you. So, I mean, that's the thing is, is like, Kirtan is kind of weird and you're like, what? But then I'm like, look at our lives. Look at the way our lives have been structured and we're all depressed and mentally ill and dysregulated. And, and, you know, there's a, there's a true mental health crisis happening. Um, 
So kirtan is bhakti's prescription for all of that. It's like, just come and sing. And it sounds really silly, but you just don't want to overthink it too much. And really, if you do dig deep into what mantra does for you, even if it's not kirtan, if you just adopt mantra into your daily practice, it's very powerful how it can kind of um, shift the thought loops that we get stuck in. It's again, it's that subconscious programming that like, um, the morning pages helps you with where you're not sure what's going on with you in the morning. You wake up and there's like, you know, you kind of don't feel great, but then the morning pages kind of knocks loose what is there and helps you sort of sift through that and process it and look at it and then hopefully release it to what's not serving. And that's Kirtan. It's like you go into these circles and you sing and you're held in these really safe, a safe space to just express who you are. Um, it has a really powerful, really, really powerful effect on you, especially if you do it over time. Yeah. You know, while you're saying that, I'm just thinking, isn't it crazy that people consider it more weird to sit in a group and sing like a totally natural, physical human thing. With Which other tribally people. we did for centuries, like centuries. thousands of years, other but culturally we, everywhere. Yeah. yeah, but we don't blink an eye at like hundreds of people racing through underground metal tubes while they stare at pieces of plastic, which is like the subway in a city. That's like totally normal, but sitting with your friends and singing, it's like, oh, you must be in a weird cult. <laughs> it's know. wild. Well, I know because I've, I, you know, it, I have this dual way of looking at it too, where I'm like, I know it's weird and I know it's culty. And even some of my good friends in the group, we joke that we're in a cult, but we're not, you know, but it's like, it's just because it is rare. It's it to me. I don't know. I think I can boil it down to how much we're conditioned to look outside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like you said, why is it more normal to sit around and like watch a movie with somebody than it is to sing with them? I don't know. You know, I mean, in that movie, you're just consuming something external and it could be extreme violence. It can be. And it, you know, and sometimes it can simulate enough so that you have a cathartic experience and you cry or laugh together, but it's a simulation. It's not really, like you feel like you're good connecting. I mean, yeah, you put on a romantic comedy because you want your man to like, you know, get in touch with his feelings or something. <laughs> Bring him to Kirtan. Okay. <laughs> Bring him to Kirtan. That's what, that's where you get in touch with that, you know? And I mean, and, and let's not just like, disparage on the patriarchy i think the patriarchy in many ways have been you know men have been victims as well to that they have been victimized by the fact that they're expected to be strong and expected not to feel and not have emotion and that's really weakened the masculine in our mm -hmm. culture because it's this false you know toughness that's really just a mask for tons of pain and shame you know, it's like this in probably, I would say, especially like the, you know, maybe generations that were raised by, you know, the depression era parents. I mean, we start talking about generational trauma right now, yeah. I guess, but like, you know, when you really look at it, men have not really been given a lot of space to, to feel their feelings. And I think bhakti is a beautiful, a beautiful practice in order to do that. Like, us women, we're kind of more in touch. Usually we're more in touch with our feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a lovely practice. Yeah. That makes a good 
point. What did you say is the main mantra and what, what is Maha mantra or something? And what does that mean? Or yes. like, how do you use it? Okay. Yeah. So the Maha mantra, oh my God, now I'm like Bhakti quiz. Um, I'm like, if the, it's short, you can just do it. It's her. not short, but Maha means great. Um, which Mahatma Gandhi you've heard before. Um, but Maha just means great. So it's the great mantra. And the the Maha mantra is Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And that breaks down to not that many words actually. So it's Hare and it's Krishna and it's Rama. And this is the part that I'm going to like. This is the bhakti. Well, we know. We know, who Krish, we know who Krishna, so Krishna is. We know who Rama Krishna, is. All of it is other. All of it is names for God. And in bhakti is steeped in like Hindu tradition. So if you know anything about Hinduism, or if you don't, there's multiple deities in Hinduism, um, expressions of God, and what I've, you know, I've come to realize like my own Christian upbringing was very much like, well, we only believe in one God. We don't worship idols, you know, all of these kinds of things. But the more I've studied Hinduism, the more I realized like these are all expressions of just one absolute. Even Hinduism only believes in just one absolute, but it's a beautiful source. Way. Yeah. Source. Again, let's go back to that. And, but, but we are so complex as humans. So why wouldn't source be, you know? And so I think Hinduism for me feels like the way of relating to divinity that encompasses the masculine and the feminine and this aspect and that aspect of, you know, the personality of God, which is multifaceted and not just man and woman, you know, or not just man, white man on the throne, like a Christian God, that's one thing I think I've really connected with Hinduism. So Hare, Hare is actually the feminine aspect of, of, of God in Hinduism. And Krishna means all attractive, actually. So Krishna is actually just everything. Krishna is everything. Krishna is in, Krishna is like, speaking of Elizabeth Gilbert, and we got off on, we didn't ever talk about the big magic book we could maybe go back to, but she wrote the signature of all things. Did you ever read that book? I haven't read it yet. Okay. Well, that's one of her novels that she wrote. It's pretty good. I like it because it does talk about like plants in a very spiritual way. And essentially the signature of all things to me is Krishna. Mm -hmm. It's like the signature of all things. You can see Krishna in everything. It's your essence. It's who you are. It's like, yeah, Krishna exists in everything, which is also another thing that I think as a Christian, I was like taught to be worried about the idea that I think I'm God, you know, but that's not what I'm saying here at all. It's just that there's a little drop of of divinity within each each and everything, not just people, but plants and bugs. And I mean, even even inanimate objects, you know, there's spirit to them. Um, so that's the idea of Krishna. Krishna is all Krishna is everything. All attractive is what it means. And then Rama means pleasure, a reservoir of pleasure. Mm. So essentially, what that awakens in you is this this connection with love. I mean, Bhakti is just the yoga of love. Um, and the more you know, I said I was raised a Christian. The more I've studied Bhakti, Bhakti, the more I actually feel like I understand Jesus, Jesus, and the teachings that he came to bring to the world in the time that he came. It's like no doubt in my mind that Jesus was a yogi of 
sort. So he might have even been a bhakta. And because what he was coming to teach was exactly that idea of like the indwelling spirit, the source, like we all have that. We all have that. And that the key to living here on this earth in harmony is to get in touch with that, to love yourself and to love and serve each other. I was like boiled down to just that. And that's what bhakti is too. It's just that connection with your indwelling spirit. Krishna, he's in, he's in your heart. He's in your heart. He's in everyone's heart. And he's, he's guiding you. She, whatever, all, you know, source is guiding us towards our purpose and the way that we can actually engage in life in a way that is of service, not just for others, but ourselves too. Like when we really align with Dharma, we're not just sustaining the world. We're sustaining ourselves. Like we're finding what, what we're meant to do. Like Dharma isn't something that you make up. It's just who you are. Like the Dharma of sugar is sweetness. It's just intrinsic. So you find that and then you find a way to serve. And that's, that's the goal of, of the bhakti. Wow. No, that's, I'm really glad you explained that because I just think of Krishna as like a hungry guy under a tree or a blue man on the flute and a girlfriend. Yeah. There's some weird images of Krishna for sure. So that's really beautiful the way that you've explained it more like a life force or an energy and it's like feminine, all attracting love and pleasure basically. Yeah. And energy is a really important word to hone in on. And that's why I think Kirtan awakens that so much for us is that God, God source, source exists in vibration. We are vibration. You know, we're not, we're actually not as solid as we think we are. Um, And we're having this kind of localized experience of our bodies, but Bhaktas believe like we have this eternal spirit within us that can always connect to eternality, to source, and um and that doing this you know chanting of the mantra is what awakens that and what helps you connect with that it's a beautiful thing well it's interesting it's like christianity somehow ended up being so like this all-powerful god who rules the earth and controls the earth and sends storms and floods and earthquakes and controls who lives and who dies but then you read the bible and there's all these like oracles prophets necromancers uh, magicians witches basically male sex cults and you're like okay there's this one all controlling god but where are these other spiritual like powerful people coming from that people are believing in that are like prophesizing things and it's like what was this other magic that was happening this whole entire time and it's all in the bible like so it's like there are other supernatural forces at play even in the bible but people have chosen to kind of like brush them aside or forget that they were in the bible at all to begin with i mean there's like giants in the bible Mm -hmm. oh yeah the David (laughs) and Goliath story I mean those stories are um, yeah yeah, pretty wild for sure there's wild supernatural stuff in there Mm -hmm. and so I think that I like the idea that you presented of the many different personalities of the source coming through that resonates with me also I 
and, and, and you're kind of bringing up a topic I want to go into just a little bit, which is that um, one thing I think the artist way helps you with is exploring your connect. Like what is your God concept is sort of the word. I think that mm-hmm. it's the kind of psych Western psychology phrase, but what is, what is your understanding of that? And um, I think I'm very well equipped to help people explore because I have kind of come through that um, religious trauma of my own and um, having to break down and deconstruct and, and really extract like, the truth. And the cool thing I think about my own spiritual journey is that I haven't had to abandon what I think the essence of what Jesus came to say was. And not that that is like the most important thing, but I think it's like over here in the Western world, you come across people and that's all they were given is Jesus. And they were only ever told like, this is the only way, this is the only way, this is the only way. And if you don't, if you don't, then you're going to hell, you know, I'm like, that's terrifying. People really, truly are still in so much trauma around that. And I I like to support people in examining that and looking at that because it is very traumatic just to our spirits, to our ability to express and create in the world. If we think that we are bad and we're, you know, just shameful, um, we're never really going to feel empowered to to move into the world in the way I think that source actually wants us to move into the world. It's not to like like power behind uh, you know oppression, but to like lovingly kind of figure out what it is that you're here to birth and voice in the world. And then our voices are all necessary for that in order to heal that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that. You know, some people may, if, if you're, if, if you grew up in a place like San Francisco or LA or, you know, New York City, many places, it, this might, this conversation might seem like exaggerated, but there's kids right now in the South and in Appalachia that are being told, oh, like you did this, you're going to hell. Like there's and not just children kids, there's living under, there's children and grownups living under extreme religious situations right now. It's sad to me because that is a perception that they truly have of God, of source, that they have to be a certain way in order to receive that love. And I think that's what Bhakti switches. It's like, no, you are already love. You are already loved. You are already whole and eternal at the core. And then there's just all of these other conditionings on top. It's the conditioned soul that we're, you know, working to to heal, or I don't know, heal is the right word, but, you know, to decondition, um, to elevate the consciousness and the perception that you're actually quite loved. And I mean, I experienced that because in my own trauma journey, I would, or healing trauma journey, I would say that talk therapy got me a long ways, but it didn't get me it wouldn't have taken me all the way that I needed to go. There's so much in the body that needs to be healed when you've got trauma. And that's for every type of trauma. I feel like Um, we just hold so much pain and fear and shame inside of us. So it was at that moment when I really started to engage with physical yoga over and over, over and over, over and over that I could start to perceive source and really feel my like, meant like I'm meant to be here. I just have these moments. It's yoga. It's actually, there's a, a goal in yoga called Samadhi or a limb. I would say one of the limbs of yoga is Samadhi and that is union or like oneness ecstasy. There's all these words 
it's the it's the highest i the highest ideal of yoga is to reach samadhi um bliss bliss right but there's levels of samadhi so you've experienced samadhi i've experienced samadhi on some level now i don't i think i've ever experienced what like some of these ancient rishis have where they've gone into like full like tripping balls with god mode but (laughs) we can keep that in there Mm -hmm. but um yeah but samadhi is that experience of just knowing like you're you're meant to be here and that you have guidance from from an external like a a higher source I almost want to say external source because I do feel like God's within us and he's without us but like um it's that source of um guidance that we're connecting with in in yoga and bhakti yeah Um, I love um Eckhart Tolle's way of putting it that you know we're the radio God sends the signals. Mm-hmm. Our source has the signals. We t- yeah. tune in or tune out. Right. But then what, then it's like, well, what about the people that aren't getting that, you know? And, um, oh, I have a book. I want to say you've probably seen the Rick Rubin book. He's I, been re- I just read it recently. Okay. I actually wondered okay. if source had come in. If you, yeah, yeah. I don't have like, my copy here, but he talks about source a lot and he capitalizes yeah. it. He it's is very right. similar. To, it's it's very similar to big magic. I would say it's like the music version, musicians version of big magic. Or it's like the man version, like the masculine way, because there's such yeah. a succinctness to the way he writes. Too. It's a little more philosophical and less storytelling. Yes. Men get to the point, which I do appreciate about a male writer. Typically, like it seems to be a little less like wordy. I tend to be a little too wordy. Um, but Rick Rubin, yeah, this book's been pretty, rev- pretty, I mean, I want to say revelatory because I feel like the cool thing about creativity and art is that you just hear it over and over in this different ways. Like you said, it's just like big magic, but in a different, mm-hmm. from a different lens or just worded in a different way. Um, but the point I love that he makes is that source, it says here, I'll read it. It says yeah. source makes, source makes available and the filter distills and the vessel receives. So often that happens without our control. So source filter vessel and the filter is what I think I am hoping to support people to like clean out Mm -hmm. the filter. What's blocking us from receiving that source is I think our traumas, our limited beliefs are, you know, these ideas that we have about ourselves that aren't accurate. Um, there are, you know, people that are holding us back. It's our family members that have told us things, you know, whatever, but those filters, um, the filter, I think that's what we're working to clean out, whether we're doing yoga, whether we're doing kirtan, whether we're doing morning pages, like these are all these processes of like clearing the filter, tuning into the source so that you can feel like you actually know what the heck you're doing in this world. (laughs) I completely agree. I call it trauma dust. That's my, you got to wipe out the trauma Ooh, dust. Trauma dust. That's good. I like that. Time to time, whether it's taking yeah. like a big dose of mushrooms or reading a book or yeah. singing in a circle with other people. I mean, I would say more and more people are going to have to go towards those alternative methods because not everyone has time to sit in a drum circle for a, an hour every week. And I say that lovingly and I joke about it because I, I think I'm like joking, but I'm actually serious that I have been privileged to Mm -hmm. spend the amount of time I've spent slowly healing 
and slowly attuning and slowly demolishing my ego <laughs> as you know because that's you know that's another whole thing but like the idea that um you know you take mushrooms and that ego dissolves I mean the ego still needs to be in place for humans we have to have our ego in order to like survive there's good things about our ego we would never even be here if we weren't doing that mm -hmm. but it's the ego um it's all of that stuff that's like the limited beliefs that keeps us from keeps us from like really feeling in the flow. So, I mean, I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say is more, more people really are going to have to go towards, I think, alternative methods like mushrooms, like psychedelics, like ketamine treatments, um, because people just, they need it so desperately. People are really struggling and not everyone has the time to, yeah. to do it slowly. Well, and it can be a kickstart to then make you yeah. realize that you need to prioritize and find the time instead of looking at TikTok or doing whatever. And I mean, not that I think, I think TikTok can be healing too. Like it all mm -hmm. depends how you're using your time, but to like prioritize healing if you need it, if you're in that situation where you, where you need it, which many people are in that situation. Um, I was going to ask you too, because I'm sure there's somebody that's going to listen to this that's in active addiction or that's like struggling with addiction. So I wondered if in a nutshell, no good, <laughs> um, not your whole addiction journey, but like what finally helped get you sober? Like if somebody is trying mm. to get sober right now, if somebody's in that phase that I was in where I was like, I hate drinking, why can't I stop drinking? What helped you like flip the switch? Whew. That's such a big loaded question. Um, and what helped you keep the switch off? That's a good question. Um, I mean, for me, getting sober was such a process <clears throat> that started years before I actually stopped drinking, which I don't know if that makes sense, but for yeah, me, that's how it same. was. Um, I was in therapy for, for many years prior to actually having, you know, sobriety time. I actually would go to therapy and then immediately hit the liquor store. <laughs> like I did that for a very long time. Um, and I laugh, but it's not funny because it just, it's, it, it's funny. And then it's also just, um, in many ways I'm grateful because sometimes I think alcohol and drugs, they numb what needs to be numbed until you're ready to face what needs to be faced. Yeah, like so, child abuse and yeah, sexual exactly. abuse. And... Which is part of my story, as you know. And um, I've come to the place of really giving myself love and grace. So I'd say, first of all, things when listening and they're inactive addiction, like just give yourself a lot of love and grace because it's an indication you're in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. It's not because you're character defect, you know, or that you're a bad person. And maybe you've done some bad things on addict, you know, while you're under the influence, but that's not who you are. Um, and so I think the biggest part of healing addiction is really addressing shame. And that can be really hard because it's such a shame cycle and uh -huh. of like, I'm not going to drink, you know, wake up, I promise myself I'm not going to drink. And then, you know, you're drinking that night and then you're hung over the next day. And depending on what happens, you might do something regretful or have a fight or everybody's different, but or you um, don't even remember. You don't remember. Um, but for me, I had I had to do a lot of therapy before I could even stop drinking at all. And that's not everyone's story. Some people are able to just like 
white knuckle it and get sober and then they dig deeper. You know, I see that a lot. In fact, I see that probably maybe more often than not is that people will get, yeah, who knows? I think everybody's journey is different, but therapy is something I would say really consider if you are in active addiction and you haven't gotten to therapy. And you did like a group therapy too, right? Like I did. I got into um, one-on-one therapy with a person who did group therapies in addition to his one-on-one counseling. It was very special. I I wish everyone had this kind of structure for their healing if they've had the kind of severe trauma that I've had, because I probably needed to go away to a treatment center for a long time, but I was able to just do that, you know, exactly. Again, who has the time for that? And I was able to just sort of, I had the privilege and resources to slowly heal. I mean, and it took a very long time. I was in um, my group for five years and I was with the therapist that ran the group for seven years. And it was right when my baby was born, right? I have a daughter who's nine now, but right when she was born. So I would say that's, that's the time period. It's like, I look at my daughter and like, she's the biggest, biggest catalyst for me to heal. Um, but ultimately you have to heal for yourself. Mm-hmm. So, but back to your question, I'd say therapy is huge. Um, but the combination of whether that needs to happen before or after sobriety, that's all very personal, I think. But I do think getting into really good therapists is so helpful. But yeah, my group setting was awesome because I was able to write letters and do just deep experiential work. It wasn't like we were just chit-chatting. Like I really went in and like, you know, it's not for everybody. And I'm not even sure that everyone needs to do this type of work, but um, reliving some of those experiences through the lens of being a grown up now and actually championing my inner child. So lots and lots and lots of inner child work, lots of connecting with that, um, which is all kind of hidden up in the artist way too. Uh-huh. So uh, I don't recommend people do the artist way necessarily when they're in active addiction. Cause I think that it's over- overwhelming enough um, to just get sober. So for me, again, deep work in therapy, community. I mean, that would be like maybe even more important than therapy is finding a community. And it's like, there's so many communities now. It's way easier now. It's they're everywhere. You You don't have to do a shop around. No. When I was first thinking I had a problem, you know, which was long ago, but I went to an AA meeting and I was just like, I can't, this isn't, I wanted AA to work for me because it was the only thing I knew. But then when it didn't work for me, I kind of felt like, I was just making excuses for myself and, oh, I don't really want this, but no, I really affirm anybody out there that if they haven't found the right AA group, then it's not the only way to get sober. There are so many online communities and I would say go there. Um, The Luckiest Club is an amazing community, but I mean, in general, I just think any online community that you can get plugged into and any amount of like daily support where you're engaging with people who are sober already that to me was a huge game changer because you go to aa you you do sometimes there are people there's the old timers i don't know what your experience of aa is but a lot of actually never done like a meeting really never even been to one aa meeting yeah i drove i parked outside and sat in my car once i bet so many people have done that (laughs) so many people um but a lot of people get court ordered to AA, you know, I wanted to find 
this group of like supportive, like people that felt like peers. And I didn't find that in AA. But then when I did join Recovery Elevator, which I still highly, highly recommend, highly yeah. recommend. That's where we met. Early days. I really, yes. Recovery Elevator is where we met. I still plug that place because even though it's not where I need to be anymore, I do think there is so much value there. Mm -hmm. And that's where I got my, like, I would call it a training ground. So online community is almost an oxymoron because you're not in person with those people. <laughs> oh, they do have like meetups depending no, on where you live. Some no, cities have a lot no, more do. members than, like Denver and Los Angeles. They, no, you're going to meet a, a person, absolutely. but not everywhere. No, you're right. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Online community. I don't want to totally like rip on. I think the, what I was about to just say though, is like getting online can feel, but you're less, right. Yeah. It can feel less scary than like, for, let me just say this, that when I got on recovery elevator, I was too afraid to tell a lot of the people in my life. I think I'm an alcoholic, you know, or I think I have a drinking problem, but I was though they to, all knew anyway. Right. Of course. <laughs> but I was able to get on this community and sort of be anonymous you're not anonymous because I have my name, but you know, I don't know these people and, um, I you felt can lurk. You can just lurk if you yes. need to and just well, watch lurked, everybody else. I, I lurked for a while and I don't know what the climate is in RE now, but I think most recovery communities are pretty supportive. Mm -hmm. Now that again, I think you have to be careful and cautious on those communities. I always kind of come with a, like, cautionary tale, because I do think you can start to, the people are, you're very vulnerable when you're in that position and you can start to kind of move your addictions towards the way you're engaging with the community. And that might be that you're online a little too much, or that might be that you're developing an unhealthy relationship with someone and you're married, or that might be, you know, there's a lot of things. It's a co-ed group too. And everybody it, is that, recovering from trauma and addiction. So there's like, a lot of early, sh like sharing, oversharing really fast, you know, a lot of like getting trauma bonding, literal trauma, mm -hmm, bonding, trauma bonding, you know, yeah. and that's, that's what happens when you, it feels so good to meet someone who's like your war buddy, basically. You're like, oh, you've been through the same war as me. <laughs> but there's just, all I want to say is that's beautiful and it's lovely. And there's so much connection and healing you can find. And you can also really get hurt there. You can yeah. also really set yourself back if you end up in relationships that fall apart, like you get close really fast and then they fall apart. I've had this. That's one reason why I'm going into this is that recovery relationships can be like your new best friend. And then, you know, and then the truth is, is both of you have a lot of pain and trauma to heal from. And sometimes you're not able to relate to each other in healthy ways. Yeah. So anyway, that's all just to say community is incredibly important. I think that the most important thing though, is to learning how to like really validate and love yourself. I mean, at the end of the day, recovery is all about like that sense of source to me. It's not even like when I'm like self-love, I mean, I don't think that I'm really that great. I think that what's coming through me is great. I think that the fact that I'm part and parcel of this beautiful universe is what makes me great. And that connection is what's beautiful because then it's not an egoic thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but most people that are in addiction have become very disconnected from that idea. The idea that they're worthy, that they're loved, that they have something to offer the world. Um, I think most anybody listening can say, yeah, I 
completely lost connection with any of that. Um, and that takes, that takes a lot of time and probably lots of different avenues to heal. You know, I kind of think the journey down recovery is that sort of, well, this isn't mine. This is from a book I read, but it's like building that four lane highway over a dirt road. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the drinking is the dirt road and the construction process is recovery. <laughs> and then you get to a place where you have this like really nice infrastructure and a four lane highway you go down and that you cope your, with your life in a way that's better or, you know, more uh, supportive, effective, direct. But that that like dirt roads always there. I love that too. And, you know, we yeah. can always kind of go down those like dirt roads of like programming. Um, but we're building that highway. It takes different things for everybody to build the highway, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's like therapy, it's community. Um, for me, it's getting in touch with my creativity. Some people might need to leave their marriages, you know, and that's a whole other thing that's traumatic and hard. And are their families went through, right. Um, some people need to change their jobs. You know, oftentimes when you find yourself in addiction, not just one thing's out of alignment, like mm-hmm. a lot's out of Everything. alignment. I mean, probably maybe not everyone. I mean, I have so many different friends who, you know, it's like, oh, they just needed to stop drinking and then their life was great. <laughs> there are some people I think it's that true. that was the yeah. case. So like they did have a healthy marriage. They, you know, are a supportive partner and their job was what they were meant to, you know, they're in the plate, but they just need to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. That was not me though. <laughs> I was like, I needed everything to change. And I was so out of alignment with who I was. And ultimately I think, you know, I can't go back and do it any different. This was my journey. But I think the more we can stay connected to source, the less we will go down that dirt road of the programming that doesn't help us. And whether that's a drinking problem or it's, or it's, um, you know, it's any other addiction, it's spending, it's porn, it's validation from other people. Like, um, I think it takes us time in order to really like rewire that. And then, you know, we're just building new coping strategies, new coping strategies. It's true. And I love, I mean, AA has the, even though I never went to an AA meeting, I feel like I got exposed to a lot of AA rhetoric Mm -hmm. because I'd listen to like podcasts that were related. I would talk to people in the recovery group I was in that had done AA. So they had that like terminology within them. Some of my like closest, like sober mentors had been like AA sponsors before. So I mean, there's that whole idea of surrender, which does seem like that top-down Christian mm-hmm. God is shaking up the earth and controlling everything. But I, I do have to hand it to Recovery Elevator for in, for making me think more about it as a reconnection to source. And instead of surrender, you're like reconnecting to the flow. Yeah. Instead I mean, of trying to control the flow yourself, because you can't. You're literally spouting bhakti philosophy currently, <laughs> just so you know. Reconnect and, to the flow. And I would say too that Bhagavad Gita, which is one of the like ancient texts of yoga philosophy, you know, and yogi study, is like the original big book. <laughs> it's like the original handbook for life, which I, you know, not to rip on the Bible, but I find the Bhagavad Gita slightly more of a like actual instruction. It's manual. way shorter. 
Yeah. Have you read the Bhagavad Gita? I've read it a long time ago. I read okay. it when, uh, many years ago. I should read it again. Though. I think now that you read in the Bible, it'll be such a good thing to read because then you're like, oh, this is so much more helpful. Like this is actual life advice. This is actual practical, beautiful life philosophy. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're, you're essentially just touting Bhakti philosophy right now with that top down, but a, I don't want to ever say anything. No, really that bad about it too. Because it is um, like, what an incredible program and, and really like, like groundbreaking to think about Bill Wilson. Mm -hmm. Actually, we can talk about psychedelics. Like, I don't know, lots of people know this, but like his understanding of the fact that we needed that top-down recovery came from a psychedelic trip. Yep. So having LSD, that connection, baby. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> and that was like the thirties, I think the 1930s. So, um, it's kind of cool to think of that because I think even the Christians have somehow hijacked AA when the truth is it's really not meant for that. It's, it's not meant to be a Christian organization. Um, I know a lot of people that would argue with me on that, but I think it's just whatever human air, you know, whatever humans apply to it. And if but, it works for you, it works for you. And like the, I have definitely, I definitely thought about, you know, I definitely tried to surrender or had that concept in my mind for a while, but I preferred reconnect. What does that now. even mean? Right. What does that even mean? That's, uh, I guess for me, it meant I'm going to surrender to the fact that I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. And I adopted that word because I needed it. But at the time. I also think it's important to realize that you're surrendering, expecting that that help's going to arrive too. Like, it's not just like a full on surrender. It's a surrender of acknowledging, like you said before, that we're really not in control. Yeah. And I don't even, I don't even believe in the idea I've, I, in the past like year or so, I've left the idea that people are alcoholics forever. So I no longer surrender to that idea. I fully believe that you can be completely 100% healed and you're no longer an alcoholic. And I know that's I, so controversial for people, well, but I've, I mean, I've seen I, it with my own eyes. I think that that's probably something that is, I could probably get behind. I mean, I actually just think we're all addicts too. Like not, yeah. it's not just that one of us is like, I'm born this way and you're born that way. And like uh, the human condition is to be addictive, <laughs> is to like allow our, our like, desires and our senses and, and, you know, a mind, our minds to like, take, take over. Um, and the concept of like source being what we need to connect with in order so that we're not always grabbing for what we're craving for constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's kind of what that's again, what the Bhagavad Gita says and the 12 steps. I mean, the 12 steps is just a lot of prayer. I don't know if you've read through those 12 steps recently, but I read through them not too long ago and the amount of like action steps. I'm like, how do you like so much of it is just like ask affirmation God so much of it is just like <laughs> ask God to remove your defects ask God to help you with this ask it's so much prayer and um, which is also another maybe possibly triggering word for but I that's what mantra is is prayer and and I think at one of my teachers has said we're everybody worships something or we're mm-hmm. all worshiping something <clears throat> it's what we put our attention on you know? And so if you really think about that, we maybe don't want to acknowledge, like we worship our phones, you know, we worship our social media, we worship 
so much that really is taking away from our connection to source. It's not that we're bad, sinful, although, yeah, yeah we kind of are, but just humans, like just we just humans. want, we just want what we want. Right. But we don't really know what's good for us ultimately. And that's kind of the coolest thing about like me marrying yoga, bhakti yoga with recovery, because there actually is bhakti yoga recovery groups because uh -huh. they're just so paralleled. Like, um, you can even, if anyone listening is interested and gone down the like weird rabbit hole of bhakti and wants to study bhakti. Um, how do you spell that? How do you spell it's bhakti? B H A K T I B H A K T I. Yeah. Bhakti. Um, but you could Google bhakti recovery group and they have meetings. So if you're interested in, in finding out their lens, but they, they add the Bhagavad Gita, they talk about, um, you know, the 12 steps in relation to just, it's all, like I said, it's all surrender and it's a lot of prayer. Um, but yeah, it is a wonderful program. I just think it's hard for me to have, uh, to find a meeting that I connected with, I suppose. Yeah, and I think for people that have had like a negative experience with Christianity, it can be hard just from that alone because it can be triggering, like you said, the terminology, the language. And mm, if you're already a there too. Yeah. If you've had that negative experience, then you need to look elsewhere. And I'm so glad that there are so many options. I mean, I did attend She Recover in person meetings in Toronto for a while, which is similar, but no religious component, which is what I needed then. Right. But I'm I'm so glad that there are so many different options now and that you have the creative cluster option. And I'm excited that you're doing source recovery. I think that you will help a lot of people. And I'm glad that you're active also in like Chattanooga and in your like local community with the Kirtan group. Yeah. And I mean, the yoga. And it's not just like because I think it's also so important to have that local in hundred percent. I think that that was sort of a thought I didn't quite finish a little bit ago where it was like online community is wonderful, but ultimately I think it's a training ground for you to feel empowered, to go into your real community and maybe that you meet people online that are in your community. <clears throat> but I think the ultimate goal is not to be on the internet all the time, <laughs> um, but is to go out and engage in your real life in community and people that are in front of you and learning how to relate to people. That's one thing I love about the bhakti yoga system is it's not about like going off into like renunciation. A lot of yoga systems, there's the cave and the yogis that go and just disappear. Bhakti is the opposite of that. Bhakti is all about like going straight into like um, the fray of, of human existence and like being connected with people that are suffering, mm -hmm. like being of service the to service. that. Yeah. So that is, I'm, I feel honored and I feel very much like this is just the way that I was made in order to like, you know, I'm a very deeply feeling person. That's the artist in me, I suppose. But also I think I have a great capacity to witness other people's pain. Mm -hmm. That's something I think maybe with my Enneagram for, um, that I identify as somebody who just has that capacity for that. And, um, Rick Rubin talks about it in his book, just this, you know, having deep feelings can be a blessing and a curse, you know, and probably one of the reasons why I ended up an addict, um, yeah. is that those feelings of like, I see so much 
beauty and and experience really euphoric joy but it also comes in the other form of like I see I see something and it can really affect me easily with pain and um yeah it's can be really heavy to carry the the heavy feelings but I also have noticed how much in recovery as I've healed again I have that capacity to be with other people and just allow them to have their experience and that's what we need to heal. It's not that I come in and do anything really other than just can be a witness to somebody and help them kind of guide them towards what their own inner truth is. Yeah. I think of you as an amazing empathetic holder of space. Mm. Like you hold space for people really well mm. and it doesn't seem to affect you. Whereas for many, it will burn them out rapidly mm. or like you are able to, you're able to manage that burnout in a healthy way I think it seems like that's really lovely well I'm working on that too yeah thank you that's a very beautiful compliment yeah um is there anything like before we wrap up is there anything else you want to talk about or is there how do people get in touch with you how can people support your journey too Okay. Um, I'm really in this kind of middle zone of having anything because I'm developing a new website and it'll be like the source recovery website, which won't be available online for a couple months, but you can email me right now. I would say the best email would be, I have an email address now called the artist way with Lauren. Mm, it's it. just, it's just the artist way, not the apostrophe S artist way, but you can probably link that yeah. in, in the show notes. Um, the artist way with Lauren at gmail.com. So you can email me there if you're on Facebook and you're a woman and you're struggling. Um, I guess you can't find the healing hive privately. It's so a private group. Again, but... you would reach out, email me and yeah, or find my name. I'm Lauren Richardson on Facebook, Lauren Richardson. I think I'm still Lauren Ani on my Instagram handle, but you can, I'm neither one of those are all that like wonderful of pages to follow, but I would say, if, again, if you're a woman that's struggling, you want to be part of the Healing Hive, find me on Facebook, send me a message, and I can send you an invite. Um, or an email, or you can even reach out, reach out to me and I can direct you because the Healing yeah. Hive is is a good thing. I mean, I think I was in it in the beginning, but then I just stepped away from Facebook. But um, I think that is reactive to, to starting to, and I, as, as I continue with my kind of one-on-one -on -one clientele, I will, I can see that that hive will continue to be a place like the person I'm working with currently, for example, join the hive. And that's like a new, like a, an added resource that she has, like she's mm -hmm. got me and then we're doing our thing with, you know, the coaching, but then she's got the hive and I posted yesterday, everyone drop your favorite podcasts about recovery. And then boom, there's all these resources. So it's a pretty great little spot. And as I said, more that I work with people, the more I think that I'll be engaging there because I mean, I went, I went just personally went through a divorce in the last year and couldn't really feed that page. So I could see that page becoming a little bit more active as I go towards this, like formally being a coach, formally supporting people in recovery in a way that's actually my business instead of just a side, side hustle, side service. Side it wasn't service. even a side hustle. Yeah. I've, I've been doing this. And most of that is because I don't think you can get a degree necessarily to like support people through a spiritual journey. No. You can, and you can't. Um, and I'm four and a half years sober, almost five in October. So I kind of feel like 
I've been putting myself through school in many ways in those last four and a half years. Like I have continuously shown up in this role. So I'm not doing anything that I'm, I'm not doing anything I haven't done. It's just now I've formally stepped into knowing this is what I'm meant to do. This is what I'm called to do. And oh my gosh, my cat just did something crazy. <laughs> and, um, and the more that I have the resources to do it, the more that I can give, you know? So that's the beauty is like being able to actually formalize it as a business and have resources in order to feed can reach more people. So yeah. you're ultimately yeah. helping more people. And I yeah. have no doubt that you'll help many. Thank you. And I mean, eventually I'll have a website and maybe you can like link that post mm -hmm. this because this may be posted for, you know, however long. And so yeah, by then, sure. yeah, but right now that's how you find me. Oh, well, thank you so much. And thank you. Um, namaste. Namaste.